Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Martin Luther King Day here on this Arizona Sports Monday edition of Arizona Sports. Mitch Ferreldis and Steve Zinsmeister taking over for Tim Ring and Howard Balzer here. And normally, what is the Wolf and Luke spot? Today, it's just Arizona Sports. And we're grateful for that. But it's still a playoff day. It's still a big playoff day. Can I just say this? It doesn't make any sense to play a playoff game on a Monday. And here's why. Is this your hot take? We're we're already getting this out of the way now? I don't know how hot this is, but you tell me. Okay. Why are we playing a game on a Monday where the winner could potentially play somebody who played on a Saturday on the following Sunday? Well, the schedule already came out. If I'm not mistaken, whoever wins this game is playing on Sunday. Against a team against the Niners who played on Saturday. That doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. Because the Niners will have a, a built-in advantage of an extra day and a half. Or call just it two the built-in days advantage of being the better football team. How's that? I guess. But okay, how about this? The Jaguars are going to play on their third straight Saturday this upcoming weekend. They played on Saturday to win the division. They just played that miraculous comeback Saturday, win against the Chargers, and now they're going to go on the road to Kansas City on Saturday. Once you get to the playoffs, particularly the second round of the playoffs, no longer should there be a built-in disadvantage for a team. It's part of the reason that in baseball I hate the wild card play-in games because it messed up everybody's rotations. It puts you way behind the eight ball for the first round. Mm-hmm. That's somewhat been settled now because of the for the wild card. Uh, They've expanded it. Yeah, because it's been expanded. But this, I mean, the 49ers played on Saturday. They won't have to play for a week plus a day, whereas another team will have to play on Monday night and play early on Sunday, or play on Sunday, I should say, in six days. That doesn't make sense. I know that we're trying to put football on every day of the week, but come on. But you know what it makes? Money. I know. And that's all the NFL cares about. I hate money. Speaking of the NFL, it's time to get into what our number one story is today. And this just happened within the past hour. I've talked with a few teams. Mm-hmm. That's that's just done through permission with the Saints. Um, but I think this week would be, yeah, it would be Houston, um, Denver, uh, later in the week, Carolina. Do you go there? Um, in, in in some cases, depending on schedules, they'll come here. Or in other cases, Zoom. I might go there. End of the week, I'll go out to New York. I'll have a chance to visit with uh, Mr. Tepper in Carolina. So that, of course, is Sean Payton, huh. who is a prospective head coaching candidate for, we now know, four teams that will get the chance to interview him. He mentioned three of them. And... I'm a little confused as to only why he mentioned three of them. Because there's one obvious team missing to us and all of you, and it's the Arizona Cardinals. Where are the Cardinals on that list? Left it off. They have permission. Or or did he just get cut off by Colin Cowherd? Okay, so if you listen to the soundbite closely, it was almost as soon as he said Carolina, it's like, as Colin typically does. Colin stepped all over the car. He just created pandemonium in Arizona and didn't even realize it. That's option number one. Option number two is, and if I'm going to believe this option, I'm going to believe it's because Michael Bidwell truly is sticking to his word of prioritizing a GM first. They just got approval and they haven't scheduled an interview. And that, I think, I don't like nearly as much, given that he's going to have three interviews this week. You might already be falling behind the eight ball. So you're suggesting they got permission to interview but haven't set a date yet. Yeah. 
It's totally plausible. If you're going after Sean Payton and you're competing with three, four other clubs, don't you need to get on that list ASAP? Yeah. Especially if you now know, based on this interview with Colin Coward, you now know that Sean Payton has a date set with all of the other teams that want him. Mm -hmm. If you're the Cardinals and you hear this and you don't have a date set with him, you're already behind the eight ball. I mean, this is the source. This isn't like Ian Rappaport coming out on NFL Network talking about what Sean Payton's going to do. This is Sean Payton on national television saying this. First of all, it's very transparent of him to do all these interviews and segments talking about. It's, I love it. It's so cool of Fox to just be like, we know you're going to leave. Just, I, just go do under your little tour. Come I think on. all candidates should be doing this, even if they're currently coaching in the playoffs. They should be doing interviews on TV. We should know exactly what they're thinking. We should know where where they're going and what day. Yes. I love the transparency. It'll never happen like this ever again. No. Uh, by the way, there's something else interesting. Uh, other nuggets within this interview about draft compensation and other things. Sean Payton, why do I think he left the Cardinals off? Partially because Colin Coward interrupted him. There's another part of me that thinks maybe that the Cardinals are the leading candidate in the clubhouse, so to speak. Mm. And that maybe he just was naming the other ones that he's going to talk to first. As a courtesy? Because I was talking with our producer, Zach, before the show, right? He says, why would why would Arizona be the only one that didn't say anything? I, I thought... What if it's because they're the only team that can offer him full control of personnel? Essentially making him the GM. Right now they can. I don't think they're going to hire a GM before they hire Sean Payton. Either way. You hire a GM before hiring a brand new head coach, like a, uh, well, I guess Brian Flores isn't brand new, but you know what I'm talking about. Like him, Vance Joseph. D'Amico Ryan's technically is the only new coaching candidate. That we know of The new head coaching candidate. Yeah, I think you hire a GM before one of them, but I don't think you hire a GM before you hire Sean Payton. It almost feels like you would just hire Sean Payton to do both. Either to do both or you hire Sean Payton and then he hires a pseudo GM. You know what I mean by that? Like, uh, remember when Dave Dombrowski was in Boston and Mike Hazen, who's now the Diamondbacks GM, was the general manager in Boston, but really he did whatever Dave Dombrowski wanted him to do. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, you hire a Sean Payton and then you say, you have control over personnel. Who do you think you could work best with in the front office? Who's a personnel guy you like? And maybe, just maybe, that'll be Michael's excuse to convince him to bring back like a Quentin Harris, Adrian Wilson, one of those guys, so that he can kind of get what he wants out of this. Granted, different scenario, but he was able to work a independent study clause into Kyler Murray's contract, right? That eventually got revoked. Maybe this will be Michael's way of still trying to find some control in giving one guy all of the football power. I could see a scenario where Sean Payton gets hired to be the head coach and in charge of personnel, but not necessarily in the quote-unquote general manager role. And then they promote Adrian Wilson and Quentin Harris to what we've been hearing about, which is co-GMs. I think that was first suggested by Albert Breer, if I remember right. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a possibility. It's two people that Bidwell trusts, and he can say to Sean Payton, I would like to make this happen for them. I would like for them to get their first opportunity to be GMs. I would like for it to be within our organization. Adrian Wilson is already beloved by the football fans in, here in town as a player. Quentin Harris, I think, also garnered similar respect. So that's something I could see, but what I can't see happening is him promoting them to co-GMs or one of them to GM and then going to Sean Payton and saying, you have to have this person 
as general manager. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Sean Payton's got to come first. And that's why maybe he's got the Cardinals at his end of his list. Maybe they get last right of refusal. It's optimistic thinking, but it's possible. You mentioned the compensation. He was asked about that, too. Granted, he couldn't necessarily give a straight answer because each team is different. Well... I'll just let him talk. Sean Payton on uh, the the herd about an hour ago. Each team's got different ammo, yeah. or different pick selections, and you know it, it could be a future one maybe where you have to throw in something. Um, I I say this because I know Mickey well, and I heard him talk the other day, and and he was right on, and I think I am too. Um, he he's got a job to do as a general manager with the Saints, uh, in in. He'll, he'll get the right compensation, and, and I'm sure the team, if it gets that far, uh, will arrive at it. And it's probably this year, it would probably be, you know, a mid to late first round pick, I, I would say. Now, it changes if nothing happens this year and we go next year, then it, that changes considerably. That's an interesting caveat there at the end. Unfortunately, it's kind of irrelevant to us, don't you think? Well, so he says, if we don't go this year. Now, what I think he means by that is if I don't take a job. That's how I read it. If I don't take a job this year and instead I wait till next year for a different opening. Well, because then there's only one there's only one year left on the contract. Less control out. over Sean Payton, I guess. So therefore you get less compensation. That makes sense to me. A mid to late first round pick. Now, for everybody in the room, how many mid to late first round picks do the Cardinals have this season? Mid to late? Zero. Zero. Does it have to be a pick this draft? That's the next question. Mm. Does it need to be a pick in this year's draft? Now, if you're Mickey Loomis, you're probably thinking, yeah, that would be ideal. I would like that to happen now. Now, here's the other problem, well, though. they don't have a first-round pick. That's probably why he would prioritize it that way. A lot of teams with head coaching openings right now don't have mid to late first-round picks because those are usually the good teams, and the good teams don't need head coaches. However... There is one that currently resides in the mid to late first round. Oh, gosh. That is the Denver Broncos, who traded their early first round pick to Seattle for Russell Wilson. See how that went? Mm Mm-hmm. But they have a later pick, don't they? 20, well, this is a projection based off of a mock draft I saw, but San Francisco's pick is projected to be at 28. San Francisco's pick via Miami, which was acquired by Denver in the Bradley Chubb trade. There it is. That is a mid-to-late first-round pick, a team that already has a franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson. Brand-new owners. They're spending. And another guy named Peyton. They could have Peyton and Peyton. Oh, my gosh. And Peyton Manning, who I think lives in Colorado still. (laughs) Yes, he does. There you go. Three Peytons. I I don't know, man. I'm just trying to read between the lines here. But he seems to think that the Saints want a mid to first round. And they should. Look back through the history of trades for other NFL coaches. We talked about this on our show, Arizona Sports Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Belichick got a first, a fourth, and a seventh. John Gruden is kind of the exception. He got two firsts and a second. Herm Edwards was traded for a fourth. Don Shula, although it was like five decades ago, got a first round pick. Bill Parcells, a first, a second, third, and fourth. Bruce Arians, a little bit odd. He got a seventh because he had kind of retired. Mike Holmgren, a second-round pick. So if you're the Saints and you're Mickey Loomis, you're asking for the moon. You're asking for a first-round pick. The question is, would they settle for an early second, which is something that the Cardinals have? It'll be a very interesting offseason, based all off that. Coming up next, yesterday was January 15th. To some, it's a very significant day, and it might as also be a significant day to DeAndre Ayton. Why? 
We'll get into it next on Arizona Sports. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister and Mitch Burrell this with you. I'm not even sure what show this is anymore. They're all blending together. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's the show. We're carrying you uh, through to 3.30 for the Suns pregame leading up to the game tonight. Uh, it is January 16th, Mitch. Ooh, okay. Which means that we are now in the window of opportunity to trade DeAndre Ayton, if you so choose. Remember, I have to interrupt. Zach's bumping his fist back there with excitement. I can get, tell he's ready for don't it. Don't get too pumped up, Zach. Come on now. We'll tell you why. Cheering for the demise of another person. Uh, no, I, listen, we talked about this six months ago when the mm-hmm. whole debacle went down with DeAndre Ayton in the summer is that you can't trade a guy once you sign him the way that they did. Uh, they were kind of forced into signing him. A but really weird chronology anyway. if we think about it. You get six months before you can move the guy. That window of opportunity is open and it's only open for the next 25 days. It's amazing how that works, right? 24 days, I guess, now. He becomes available to be traded, assuming he approves said trade. He has full no-trade viability in this first year. And then when he becomes available, he's only got like 25 days. Because it's February 10th, I believe. If you're going to do, do it, you got to do it now. you got to do it quick, in the next three to four weeks. So as you can imagine, articles of plenty have been going about trying to figure out, if they do trade DeAndre Ayton, what would they do? There was a great article that I found courtesy of Bright Side of the Sun. I believe it was a Dave King article. And he had two trade options. He he made a note that there are other suitors out there like Charlotte, San Antonio, and Orlando. But those ones don't make as much sense. He he also mentioned that a three-team trade could be in the works. But he left it to just two teams. And I'm curious your reaction to these. The Toronto Raptors. This is kind of a buy in reality. The Suns acquire Pascal Siakam, and the Raptors get back in return Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, and next year's first-round pick, which we know the Suns weren't going to be using anyway. All the while acknowledging in the article that it might cost more than that. That it, it might. might end up being more than just one first-round pick. It might be multiple. It might. Um, so, first reaction, kind of similar to yours. Pascal Siakam, great player. You're getting the best player in the deal. I'm usually a fan of being the team that receives the best player of course. in a deal. Um, at the same time, you and I go through this exercise uh, seemingly every time we talk about this on our show on the weekends. You have to think about a trade both ways. Of course that makes sense for the Suns. You get Pascal Siakam, who I think is one of the most talented fours, although he's listed as a center on uh, basketball reference because the way that the Ra- Raptors can, roster works He out. can easily stretch five, but yeah, the Raptors team is full of a bunch of six eight six nine guys. Totally love what you'd be getting and what you'd be keeping. And Bridges, Cam Johnson, Chris Paul's still around, Devin Booker, of course. Like, that's a really great core of a team mm-hmm. all the way through. Why would this make sense for the Raptors? Now, on the one hand, they are sitting in, I think, 11th place in the East. They're going the wrong direction. They're going the wrong direction. Siakam is certainly expensive at this point in his career. He's scheduled to make $35 million this year, almost 38 next year. So you get him next year, too. That's get, another get two years of him. piece of this trade. Here's the other thing. That's a lot of money. Who's the owner of this team right now? Matt Ishbia. Kind of. Sam Garvin. Sorry. No. Robert Sar. I just gave you three answers. And they're all kind of valid in their own way. Any trade that happens currently with the way that the team is structured, Sam Garver's going to have to have his hands on that. 
Robert Sarver still reserves some rights when it comes to trades, and we don't have to dive too deep into that. And then Matt Ishbia is the future, mm-hmm. presumably. So you would think that he would like to have some input over a major move like this. Who reportedly is trying to gain acquisition of the team prior to the deadline. Well, you better hurry. Yeah. Like we just said. You, you better hurry, NBA governors. Days. You have 24 days. Keep if you're vetting. Gonna, if you're going to go acquire Pascal Siakam and you're going to give up DeAndre Ayton, which is also a lot of money, by the way, being exchanged. Yes. Uh, and future first-round picks, potentially. I love the deal. I just don't know if ownership can get it through in time. It'll be interesting to see. Um, there's one other trade that um, Dave listed. This one's with the Chicago Bulls. This one I'm a little more curious about, given Chicago's recent stretch of play. And more importantly, given the recent stretch of play of the other man involved in this trade. The Suns would acquire center Nikola Vucevic and guard Alex Caruso. So you improve perimeter defense, and then you have a great presence down low in exchange for just DeAndre Ayton. So a two-for-one with the Bulls. Now my worry, as I hinted at, is the Bulls are playing a lot better. Nikola Vucevic is double-doubling up the floor every single night for like the last two weeks. And and not just like he's getting 20 and 10. He's getting very high-volume double-doubles. Over 15 rebounds, over 30 points scored multiple times in a two-week span. It's at this point going to be a lot harder to try and convince Chicago to let this one go because now they're on the up-and-up as well. Vucevic is a 17-11 and 11 guy. 17.5 points per game this season, Eleven, just about 11 rebounds per game. Here's my problem, and I don't know how big of a problem this is. Maybe asking somebody who's like a true basketball guy would be better, but he averages almost five three-point attempts per game. This is a big guy who's going to be on the perimeter a lot more he can than DeAndre. The floor. Yeah. And, that's, and that could be consi- uh, considered a good thing. I personally think, um, call me a traditionalist or whatever it is, I prefer when I have a center that he's actually in the post. I mean, one of the biggest criticisms we have of DeAndre Ayton sometimes is that he doesn't show enough force in the post. Well, you're not going to get that from Vucevic, I think. You're going to see a lot of three-pointers. Now, maybe that opens up a lot of things because the Suns like a kind of run-and-gun, perimeter ball movement type of offense. So offensively, maybe he makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know, man. I Contractually, I'd have to look. He... So Vucevic would get 22 for the rest of this year. Caruso, it, this is a golden So he's a rental. Vucevic. Vucevic would be a rental. Caruso's got $9 million over the next three years, or per three years. So two years per, after this. Yes. See, I... Hmm. And then you, Caruso's a nice addition. You free yourself but, up with a space of Aiton, and then you can re-sign Cam Johnson in the summer. You can I, go out and add another complimentary piece to this roster. I don't hate it from a building a team aspect, but you lose Aiton, and then let's just assume Vucevic hits free agency in a year. Or, sorry, not in a year, at the end of the season. Because he's not locked up beyond this year. Now, right. all of a sudden, you have no big men. I mean, Jock Landell, I get it. He's on the roster, and same with Bismack Biombo. But neither of those guys are centers long-term for this team. But I think what Phoenix has been successful with is they've been able to make it work with just about anybody down low because their offense is structured that way. Here's the example. The 49ers seem to ex- succeed with whoever their quarterback is, right? It's just because the offense is designed so well and there's so many great pieces around Brock Purdy or Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance. 
The Suns are able to make it work with anybody down low because they have Devin Booker or they have Cam Johnson or they have Chris Paul to be able to facilitate it down low. And then it's just an easy two. You don't need DeAndre Ayton to do this. You maybe don't need him, but I I don't know, man, because we've talked about how one of the biggest things we'd like to acquire, whether it's Siakam or Kyle Kuzma, is a primary four, a power forward traditionally. And they don't really have that, not just because Cam Johnson's injured, but Cam Johnson's a a perimeter shooter. He's not your traditional four. Well, I think you would stretch McHale four. Or McHale becomes that kind of guy that just guards the best player on the opposing team. I think he's already that. Well, then it doesn't so really my, matter what my position point he is, is, does you, it? You're going to hit the summer, and you're going to have no Aiton, no Vucevic, because he's probably going to leave in free agency, or at least test the market. Uh, and then you're going to have no primary four, other than Cam Johnson. I think you're kind of in the same position six months from now that you would have been if Aiton left this past summer. We're going to talk with ESPN's NBA front office insider Bobby Marks coming up at 2.15. I'm very curious where he stands with what kind of returns you could get for an Aiton. Could Aiton even be traded? And then maybe even make a bigger splash this offseason. I'm curious what he has to say about all that. My big question is, what do other teams think of Aiton? Because this is a guy who, we're in what, year five now? Who hasn't, he's number one overall pick who certainly hasn't impressed me to the point that some of the other guys drafted behind him have. I think he's only ever made an all-rookie team. Which, you can only get once. He's not an all-star. Nope. He's a good rotational player. He's a good center. Is he great? No, he's not. And we're talking about him in packages for bigger names. We're talking about him being in a package, not him being the feature. Yeah. We're talking about him in a package for Kevin Durant six months ago. We're talking about him in a package for Pascal Siakam. How does the rest of the league view DeAndre Ayton? Do they believe that he can grow into a superstar? I'm not so sure. At least not. not we We don't want to keep waiting and seeing, though. There needs to be action on this sooner rather than later. Uh, on Saturday when we last uh, were doing a show together, Mitch, you said something to the effect of, I needed to be a Chargers fan this weekend. Yep. Because the ramifications, if the Chargers had lost, were bad for the Cardinals. Okay. And then the Chargers blew it. I don't know. Does that mean that the Cardinals blew it this weekend? We're going to talk about that next. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Zach Larson behind the glass. We're here until 3.30 setting you up for Phoenix Suns basketball. Normally, Steve and I are on for two hours on Arizona Sports Saturday from 11 to 1. Check us out. Barring any unforeseen circumstances, that is where we will always be. You can also find us on Twitter. At Swing and a Mitch, and he is at Steve underscore Zins, I believe. Uh, that sounds right. I honestly what haven't are you, checked. You, I, are you worried about setting fire again? No, I haven't. I haven't checked. What is my Twitter handle? I honestly don't know. I don't know. I try to tag you all the time. I don't then. tweet at me very often. I don't even so. know where to start. At God, I don't know. At Steve underscore Zins. Okay, Z I right. S. Yeah. Okay. Just type in Zin, and it'll probably pop up. <laughs> There's not a lot of guys with that last name. Find us if you can. It helps a lot. Um, what a great way to end the NFL weekend, right? Ohio State saying no to Oklahoma once again. 
Oh, man. On that run back? There's a lot of good Ohio State players on the Bengals. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Go look at the roster. Steve's going to tangent for about five minutes no, talking about Buckeyes. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to put people through that. Although, I will say, Joe Burrow, I have the utmost confidence in Joe Burrow. Said that on Saturday, by the way, that I could totally see the 49ers and the Bengals in the Super Bowl. And yet, that game was won because of the defense and I bad know. mistakes by the Ravens. I know. It's crazy. Uh, that cemented what was five games out of the six this past weekend. The touchdown take back there by Sam Hubbard, 98 yards. That is the longest fumble recovered touchdown in the playoffs. Of course, everybody's mind probably went to uh, what is typically not named here in Arizona, but the James Harrison interception in the Super Bowl that went 100 yards. Why'd you have to bring that up? So there was the Bengals winning 24-17. We can, we can touch on all five. I think to your point about... You have the most trust in Joe Burrow. I do. I agree. And the reason being is that because I'm starting to lose trust in Josh Allen. Josh Allen, who had a ton of turnovers yesterday in a squeaker against the Dolphins. And meanwhile, Joe Cool is Joe Cool. Well, you know? And to stay on the Bengals-Ravens game for just a second, I know we're kind of pivoting to the Bills. Uh, the Ravens are going through... Something that nobody wants to go through. And it's not only just not having your star quarterback available to play in Lamar Jackson, but now teammates calling him out for it and saying, well, if we had had Lamar, we would have won. Essentially Mm. putting pressure on the player to say, hey, you couldn't have played through the injury this one time. You couldn't have made a push with your boys this one time. Because I think the Ravens, some of their players have a good point. That's a seven point win for the Bengals. And it ended in dramatic fashion as you just played. Yes. The Ravens probably win that game with Lamar Jackson, even if he's playing at 80% health. I, I think there's an argument. I don't know that they necessarily win. I think there's still an argument that maybe it's closer than seven points, although seven points is closer than what Vegas well, predicted. I mean, how close was it before that play you just played me? Tied. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't were, get much closer than the goal. Tied. All right, all right, all right, I'll give you that one. <laughs> I think, though, there was a lot of defense for him. Yeah. The, the unexplainable and more confusing part is that he didn't travel to Cincy. And I get it. If you're dealing with a knee injury, maybe travel's not the best thing for you. I think I saw a quote from Marlon Humphrey after the game where he said like he was limping around the facility yeah. the past few weeks. So I get it. If it's severe, fine. But then when everybody starts asking questions and starts getting curious, then you kind of start to wonder. Because as you and I both know, and I'm sure everybody else both know, everybody else knows, can't speak, Lamar's a free agent now. Yeah. So it'll be a very... Interesting offseason for Lamar Jackson. Careful what you say if you're his teammate. Yeah. Because he may not want to come back. You might be left with something far lesser than Lamar Jackson at quarterback next season if Mm -hmm. you're the Ravens. So their season is over, and they're all yelling at each other right now. It'll be interesting to see. Not a great way to end a year. How their offseason goes about. But the Bengals take that one. They advance. They now face the Buffalo Bills, and that's where we'll jump to. Okay. Um, Josh Allen was great and nervous At the same time, his final line, 23 for 39, 352 yards, three touchdowns, but he also had two interceptions. And then I believe he had a fumble as well on a drive that they really kept Miami in this game as long as they could. The Bills have to also play with the pressure of knowing that they were the one of two elite teams all season long, them and the Chiefs. And I think the Bills, even more so than the Chiefs at times, were considered like almost the perfect team, if there is a perfect team in the NFL, that they might be the lead one. They've been playing from the number one seed for most of the year. Right. I know the Chiefs get the week off because they're the actual number one seed, but and then they have this 
horrific thing happened to them with DeMar Hamlin, followed by a miraculous kick return on the opening kickoff of the following game. I mean, it's literally a movie script Mm -hmm. at this point. And you make it to the playoffs, and you get paired up with a Dolphins division rival who doesn't have their starting quarterback in Tua and is instead playing a brand new, you've never even heard of this guy quarterback, and you should steamroll that team. And you barely squeak one out. They barely the squeaked it out. They barely had the lead at halftime. It's not good, man. It was tied going into the half. Yeah, I'm worried about the Bills. I know they have a home field advantage in this one, but the Bengals just looked better. And that's even without half of their offensive line. And, and then they lost their left tackle in the game. And Bills Bengals is the matchup during the Demar Hamlin game. Yeah, the game that got canceled. And kind of messed with some of the scheduling for the playoffs as well. That's a very intriguing narrative to me in the next round of the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Let's finish up the AFC. Because on Saturday, you had mentioned in the tease that we need to all be Chargers fans here in the Valley. Yeah. Well, we certainly were. They were up 27 nothing at one point. Um, they lost 31-30. It's like that Colts-Vikings game we saw earlier this season where the yeah, Colts we were, were up by like 33. We were on air. We had the whole first half, 33 nothing. Yeah. And then the Colts lost 39-36. Oh. It's miraculous. Trevor Lawrence, he threw four interceptions and threw four touchdowns. I saw he... What a af- weird day. After the game, he tweeted that meme of the, the high school football had players. Us in like, the first half. They had us in the first half. I got <laughs> I got to admit... I was like, that's hilarious. That's a guy who gets it. And then he went somewhere. Where did he go? He went to Waffle House. House. In in like Jacksonville. I love this guy. (laughs) I love this guy. This is who I want to rally around. That dude. We wanted to be Chargers fans for this reason. The the idea was if the Chargers lost that game to the Jaguars, a, a somewhat inferior team to them, that then Brandon Staley might have his job revoked. He gets canned. And all of a sudden the L.A. Chargers become a prime destination for a guy like Sean Payton, who we're going to talk about a lot today, a lot. And that's a guy that I think a lot of Cardinals fans and Michael Bidwell has shown interest in. And so that's one more job that could have become available. Now, from all we've heard today is that it doesn't sound like even with this terrible loss to the Jaguars, maybe Staley stays. Yeah, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is backing you up on that. I have not verified that Staley is in any trouble. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I've been surprised before, but I would be surprised. They won nine games last year and ten games this year. The loss was really bad. It was epic. Uh, I'd say not being able to basically get a first down or run the ball effectively in the second half probably hurt them as much as anything. Staff changes, I wouldn't be surprised by. That would make some sense. Shake it up a little bit. Make sure you get the most, absolute most out of Justin Herbert. If that is what happens, we'll see. Um, I just haven't gotten the sense that Staley is in trouble. And I mean, that's from today. That's audio from today. The game was two days ago. So clearly, they haven't moved on from Staley. They're probably not going to. So if you're Cardinals fans, you can kind of breathe a bit, right? You're probably not going to have to compete with this L.A. market team. Sean Payton works for Fox in L.A. True. You don't have to stress about that as much anymore. Well, and, and really, let's be honest. The the main drawing point of that team is Justin Herbert. Herbert. You have a prime quarterback, super young, pretty darn good, somebody that I'm sure Sean Payton could mold into a really, really good quarterback moving forward. Now, here's the argument to keep Brandon Staley, right? Is the Chargers historically have shown a lot of faith in their coaches. They hire primarily 
young up and coming coaches. They don't go out and hire the big name free agent and pay him tens of millions of dollars. They don't do that historically. He's like a $4 million a year coach and not a bad one because by the way, the chargers are on the up and up still. It's not like the Cardinals where they just fell off a cliff this year. The chargers lost in the first round. Sure. But they got better. Their record is better than last year. They're still going up. So you can look at it that way. If you choose to, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I don't imagine that they would take any longer to make a decision on his job status. However, uh, two other games that we'll just touch on very, very quickly. The 49ers did what we expected them all to, albeit it took, it took a second half of football for them to do what we all expected them to do. The Seahawks, they won 41, 23 over Seattle. They're going to host the next round. Against, really, what was the most fun surprise of the weekend, I think, Steve. The Giants going into Minnesota and winning another one-score game against the Vikings. I just don't like the Giants. But you got to admit, we talked about this ad nauseum on the weekends, is that the Vikings are just not who you think they are. By all of the nerd metric, to keep it you know, simple standards, they were not a good football team this year. Everything told us two things, that the Vikings would lose and that it would be a close game. That was pretty much what was going to happen. Yeah. And we kind of, and that's exactly what happened. Seven point win for the Giants. The Vikings, before this game, were the first team in NFL history to win 13 or more games and have a negative point differential on the season. 11 and 0 in one score games, by the way. Until yesterday. Should bring that up. Coming up next, turning focus back to the local football team in the Valley. There's a big, big item on the to do list. Or is that item even on the to do list? That's next on Arizona Sports. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Barraldis with you until 3.30. We're taking you up to Suns pregame tonight. We're trying to figure out if you are going to trade DeAndre Hopkins this offseason, what can you get for the guy? It's something that's been put on the to-do list reportedly by Michael Bidwell that he's been telling GM candidates that, hey, this is something we'd like to do. We're yeah. going to hire you and we're going to make you do this very, very big trade. First thing, <laughs> before we even sign you on board, before we even get your address and everything, we need you to trade DeAndre Hopkins. No, listen, we talked about this a lot this weekend. Uh, it's a cap hit of $30 million. That's a lot. For one individual player. Massive. At a time when you're probably looking at a bit of a rebuild here in Arizona. Not a long, long-term rebuild, hopefully. But, you know, paying one guy $30 million is a lot of money in the NFL, especially a non-quarterback. So what can you get for a guy like that? Well, maybe history has something to tell us about this. In recent big wide receiver trades. Okay. Uh, the most recent big wide receiver trade was Tyree Kill. I feel like this one is kind of the I'd, exception to the norm. I'm looking at it right now. I don't think this is going to come close to what Hopkins will get in return. Tyreek Hill garnered a first, second, two-fourths, and a sixth round pick. Five picks overall, a one, a two, two-fours, and a six. That's a lot for a wide receiver. And then Miami ended up paying him the contract he wanted. True. So that's another part of it. That part of it is that Hopkins already has the contract. Now, he's probably going to want an extension. Yes. In the next year or two. Correct. What about Devontae Adams? He gets traded to the Vegas Raiders. He got a one and a two. This, see, this is an anomaly. Because there's no way that any other team is just going to offer a first and second and get Devontae Adams. Well, How the Raiders got away with this trade, I am still curious to this day. 
I was about to send a message out to Steve Kine, but let's be honest, he's not the GM anymore, so I don't know who to send this message to, but you need to start asking around, what's the price for DeAndre Hopkins? Because if Hill and Adams both recently got that amount, are they dramatically better than DeAndre Hopkins? I don't think so. Adams and Hill. Well, so Hill's advantage is that he's slightly younger. I think by a couple of years. And he's lightning quick. Devontae Adams has been healthy and has played full seasons or has not had anything that has hampered him in these recent years. D-Hop, before he came to the Cardinals, was the exact same guy, right? He always played games. He was always making highlight reel catches. He was doing everything for that offense. And then he got hurt. And then he got hurt again. And then he got suspended. And then he got hurt again after the suspension. D-Hop is not the same guy anymore. Okay, so let's Whereas look Devontae at, Adams still is. What is this more accurate then? So these are some of the other big-name uh, wide receivers to be traded. Julio Jones got traded away from the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Him plus a sixth-rounder gets you a two and a four. Well, clearly that was a bad trade because the Titans cut him the year after. And then he ended up on the box. They kind of knew he was on the way down, Julio. Yes. He's, he's a big target. However, but does that make him comparable to D Hop? I'm not saying D Hop's a bad player, but like you mentioned, hasn't been super healthy and has that suspension, which I don't know if that carries big ramifications for his future. I, well, so, I hope not. Well, so in Hopkins' defense, he came back and he looked like DeAndre Hopkins. He caught a lot of passes, got yeah. touchdowns. But then as soon as you get hurt again, then you start to wonder okay, what's this guy's durability? Or rather, is he getting the proper treatment in Arizona to stay durable? Couple That'll of be years, an interesting thing. A couple of years ago, Stephon Diggs plus a seven for a one, four, five, and six. I feel like it's too much. It's too much. I feel like it's just too much. What about the last time Hopkins got traded? It was Hopkins plus a fourth for David Johnson. So basically a throw-in player, a two and a four. Now, you that see, two and the four reminds me of the Julio trade. See, this is the irony. I almost feel like this is exactly what the Cardinals are going to be able to get. What they gave up exactly. for him. Which at the time was an absolute highway robbery of a steal this time does that make you feel horrible this, this time, time you almost be maybe lucky to get this kind of a return a downhill running back and a second and a fourth you might be very very lucky to get that from somebody now the other ones i have on my list odell beckham jr got traded for a one a three and jabril peppers no feels like a lot at this point and antonio brown got a third and a five a third and a fifth but he was kind of a head case at that point you know what my common denominator is with some of these trades What's that? Is that I clearly he wasn't worth a first round pick then to Houston. He's not worth a first round pick now. So that's why I don't think I can comp him immediately to Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs or Odell Beckham Jr. At least those trades and those instances in time. I don't see D Hop as the value of a first round pick this year. And I'm sure a lot of other teams are going to look and say, wait a minute, you've got the number three overall pick. You don't need our first round pick, too. You've got the number three overall pick. We're not going to help you out just because we're taking away your cap relief. Teams are going to look at it and say, oh, you want a second rounder, like a late second rounder or an early third rounder? Sure. That's what you can get for a dude who hasn't played a ton of games in the past two seasons. I don't disagree with you. I'll just be utterly disappointed. And I think a lot of Cardinals fans would be very disappointed with since we've had this revolution last summer for the price of a pristine wide receiver. Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams both getting a first and a second plus some. Both of those guys got that recently, and DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to get even one first-round pick? 
I, I don't disagree with you that that's probably what the cost is at this point, but I just think the disappointment level is going to be tremendous. Oh, it'll be massive. And like from a from a return on investment standpoint, it's actually kind of hilarious. Given what he was traded for to begin with, might fetch the same trade package in return three, four years later. That's actually kind of hilarious. That he would still be worth a second, a fourth, and a David Johnson type. Just not David Johnson. <laughs> Preferably not no, David Johnson. <laughs> definitely not David Johnson. <laughs> but I'm not going to say he's as far down the list as like head case Antonio Brown, third and a fifth, just to get him away from Oakland at the time. So you need more than a third and a fifth. I feel, think so. To feel I think the, somewhat confident. I think the best comp of these up here, other than his own, is the Julio Jones one. The two and the four. Yes. And you might give up a late round pick in that. Yes. That's what the Julio trade was. I think that's the closest one. Because, again, I don't think teams are going to be very willing to give up a first round pick to a team that already has a high first round pick. Unless they are blown away by the players DeAndre Hopkins is. I just don't think he's that kind of a value of a player anymore. I saw you sent me another article today that had somebody had a bold prediction is what it was called. A big prediction for the Cardinals offseason. And it was they're going to cut Robbie Anderson. And I was like, how, I was like, that's massive. How big of a prediction is that really? <laughs> the guy caught like seven balls in 10 games or something like that. Um, but it would clear a lot of space. The problem is if you're trading Hopkins, cutting Anderson, and now you're out of receivers. Uh, yeah, now you have Marquise AJ Hollywood Green's Brown probably going to retire. Year. Right. Now you have Hollywood Brown for a year and Rondale Moore, who, I'm sorry, hasn't really done much. Hasn't been healthy. Antoine Wesley coming off of IR. He's hasn't not a really big, done much. scary name or anything. He had one really good game that I remember where he caught two touchdowns. You I know think who, that was a Christmas Day game. You know who you and I agree we would love to see get the most out of this is Greg Dorch. I think he deserves an who opportunity. Who was by far their best receiver this past season. But he's not a one. But he's a lot better than most of the ones that they have. Which, look, it's crazy. That we're even discussing this right now. That this team has become the go-for-it-all. And in two years, two years removed from the go-for-it-all team. When they signed J.J. Watt. They brought in A.J. Green. They got in Malcolm Butler. Like, they did all of these moves that screamed like, okay, we believe in this team. And then they won 11 wins, but it was a flawed 11 wins, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're just talking about cap relief. Well, and I wonder, <laughs> too, crazy. I wonder, too, how that conversation goes between Bidwell and a per- prospective GM hire. Hey, uh, we'll hire you to be the GM. First thing you have to do is sell off our best player. Do you still want the job? Do you, yeah. Do you want to do that? Now, on the one hand, it's like it's like uh, it's like you or me playing video games, right? You, you just started a Madden season, and mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to trade everybody. You're like, I'm going to get all the picks, and I'm going to draft all the players. Like, that's exciting for a video game. Yeah. It's not exciting in real life. No. Hey, come on in, take the job, and then uh, trade away our best player. Let's see how fans feel about you after that. It's kind of daunting, to say the least. And if you're right, and if I'm right, you might not get... What you're hoping for in a return for And if that's the case, does that make it less likely that Sean Payton wants to come here? Ooh, speaking of Sean Payton, he was just on TV like an hour and a half ago with Colin Cowherd. And he was listing off some of his plans for interviews for head coaching gigs around the NFL. And you are not going to believe the team that he left off of his list. Well, maybe you will because it's pretty obvious. And it's coming up next.